Hello and welcome to the Ride It Out podcast, the official podcast of Summonets, the world's wildest car festival. My name's Jay Benz and I'm joined by my mate, Owen Webb. Webby, what's going on? Well, it's uh, interesting times, isn't it? We were hoping to get all those Victorians up for the Burnout Masters this weekend, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, that is... Uh... It is what it is, I guess. You know, it's just got to. We just got to follow the the rules, and everybody's got to play by them. Ain't that the truth? Tonight's show is a mad one. We have Benny, the mechanical Stig, who's very well known for the Cresta, the eight second, uh, call it a Crusader, even if you like. Uh, then we have Phil Kerjean, who's known for smashing tires off the VK wagon, Tough Street, and then we have motor racing legend Jim Richards. Obviously, uh, Jim's son is also Stephen Richards, and between those guys. And they'd have a million trophies, wouldn't they, Webby? <laughs> yeah, they've actually, I don't think they, they've got a record I don't think will ever be um, achieved again. They've got 12 Bathurst victories between the pair of them. That's just unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely. Insane. Insane. Yeah. And I make a real point, of, I make a real point, I'm going to make a real point of that through the interview because I actually uh, don't think it's well known enough for, for what a great achievement mm. it is. Yeah, 100%, mate. All right. Don't forget that Burnout Masters is on this weekend. So grab your tickets at burnoutmasters.com.au. Come out and sit in the fresh air. It's a big open air event. You can get plenty of space from the person next to you to sit down and just watch skids all day long. Yep, can't wait. I cannot wait to get there. Seriously, I'm going to get there at 2 a.m., sit in the car, <laughs> sit in the car and wait and just pull in there and take in the atmosphere, that's for sure. All good. All right, great news is that the Burnout Masters game has an update coming later this week. So for people stuck in lockdown, get ready. There's two new mad cars. There's Nut Out. Obviously, that car's owned by Hayden Woolby from the long white smoke cloud in New Zealand. Exactly. <laughs> and that lockdown lunatic, Hold On, who'll be ripping it up at the real Burnout Masters event at Sydney this weekend. So you can also, on the game, I'm told, Smash ties on the Sydney dragway pad. How about that, Webby? Yeah, fantastic. Um, I haven't had a go at that game yet, but uh, sounds pretty uh, good. Mate, I think you're in, in the breaks, in the skid breaks. You're in there having a go, mate. Come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, just to mix it up too, there's also some new music in the game, uh, featuring rockers such as Parkway Drive, The Screaming Jets, Skeggs, Polaris, and one of my favourite bands, Powderfinger. How about oh, that? Yeah, awesome. I love Powderfinger too. And there's also two new other cars, a HQ and an XB Coupe, so you can start working on. A bigger garage to house all your cars and much, much more. So look out for the update for the Burnout Masters game this week for sure. We're here with Benny, a.k.a. The Mechanical Stig. Lots of people will know you from your YouTube channel, Benny's Custom Works, as, as well as lots of other cool stuff, mate. How exactly did you get into cars? Oh, mate, um, cars have been in my blood since I was a kid. Um, my, my father and my grandfather have always had some pretty cool cars. Um, yeah, like growing up as a kid, my parents had a LH Tirana. Uh, that was that was pretty cool. And then yeah, my grandfather's had all sorts of oddball stuff and different stuff through the years. And I've actually got his HK Prem at the shop at the moment. Nice. What what, what was your first car, Benny? Um, I had about seven minis before I had a license. So I had <laughs> all mini Clubmans. I had yeah, all right through, and then none of them actually made it to the road. So I end up kind of honing my talents, pulling cars apart through those those minis. But, yeah, ended up moving on to um, Subarus and mainly Jap stuff. But now kind of come full circle now. I've got a Falcon and obviously the Cresta, which is which is Ford-powered. So, yeah, kind of doing the full, full lap on cars. I've also had a 50 Buick at one point. I had a 53 Buick at one point. So, yeah, there's all, all sorts of genres that I've dabbled in. I'm not really aligned to one particular style or, or brand. Have you have you ever counted how many cars you've had? <laughs> um I've tried I tried to keep a run sheet at one point and I think I stopped counting at about sixty or seventy. <laughs> Fair play. You've obviously created a lot of noise online over the years. I mean how did the media side of things come about? Did that sort of just develop slowly um, or something you wanted to dive into? Uh yeah I kind of I kind of fell into it. There was a a kind of a right time, right place type of deal. So I was actually mates with Marty from MCM before MCM existed. And one day we kind of got talking about working on this Daihatsu Mira project and he invited me to come on and that was kind of where it all kicked off and I haven't really walked away from it since. So I think we're about 10 years in now. So it's pretty cool. I've been on and off with those guys 
And then as you mentioned, yeah, also doing my own thing with the Benny's Custom Works YouTube channel. Uh, what do you love most about making content now? You're sort of super, you know, well immersed in it. Um, sharing the passion and the joy for cars, I guess. Like we, we'd be doing it anyway and it's cool to kind of share what we're doing in our story and, yeah, things like Drag Week. Like that's kind of our pinnacle event that we, we try and cover for ourselves each year. Unfortunately, this year we're not going to make it due to COVID and shipping and we can't even leave the country if we wanted to. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, this year, yeah, that's kind of put a, put a stop to that. But we'll see what happens for the back half of the year. Hopefully, we can get some drag challenge action or something like that but we'll uh have to see how we're going yeah absolutely so i was going to ask you later on but but i might as well ask you now just you've touched on drag week there would that be one of mm-hmm. your favorite events um yeah it's it's a fa- like nothing compares to it it's a fantastic event as far as motorsport goes um yeah it's really a, an ultimate test of of your car but also your personality somewhat as well um we've we definitely had some trying moments last year with the mustang although it kind of looked like a bit of a cakewalk on camera for a lot of it. <laughs> um, we didn't have any major failures. Like a lot of guys were having a lot harder week than us, admittedly. But, yeah, we, we definitely had some long hours, uh, more so leading up to Drag Week, actually. But, yeah, once we, once we got to the event and got everything sorted, it was a, an awesome time. And, yeah, you just you basically spend a week flat out with your mates, either fixing cars or racing cars or both, helping out other people trying to keep their cars going as well. Like it's a... It's an awesome event and, and last year we actually were battling for fourth and third place up until the end of the race day. So basically you've got to a certain time to hand your last time slip in and my basically the guy that was behind, actually he leapfrogged me and then we actually raced head-to-head for the third position in class. So that was, that was a pretty awesome event and yeah, that part of it was just a nice little bit of icing on the cake. In terms of doing like a lot of stuff on your YouTube channel, do you, do you enjoy the journey of building cars, or do you like the driving side of it more? Which is there, or it's, both are as equal? Um, yeah, I guess I like both. Really, I guess yeah, racing's just always been fun. I've been drag racing for uh, probably fifteen years now. Like I started same thing what I mentioned before. I've had a heap of Subarus. Like I had a Subaru Legacy RS that we used to take religiously to every Wednesday meet we could get to. I think that that was running mid-11s in uh, at least five years ago, six years ago, which was pretty good considering it was cobbled together from parts and leftover bits. It wasn't a forged engine. So, yeah, that was kind of where the passion for racing started. But, yeah, I've also been building cars since I was, like, with the minis. I was 13 or 14 and I started playing with them. And, yeah, that's kind of just always been a thing in my life as well. Do you still have any minis, minis hanging around? Um, I don't have any at the moment, but... Never say never. I wouldn't mind getting another one, but the prices of those things are going through the roof too. Anything yeah. with a chrome bar these days is taking off. Yeah. I've just just joined the uh, chrome bar brigade again. I've got a little Sigma <laughs> that I've been playing with, so yeah. that's the current toy. But it's um yeah, that's just more of a, a freshen up cruiser type thing. It's ne- that's not going to be fast. It's not the not the aim of that car. Yeah, T- tell us about the Crusader. How did, and how sort of where the car came from and and how it came about in the build and I guess um. It's crazy fast, man. You know, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 car's actually got quite a bit of a story. So going back to the my time with Mighty Car Mods, we were going to Japan to shoot a like a feature length series with those guys, and we looked at the price of a hire car, and the Crestor actually we were looking on Yahoo auctions and and also on the like the vehicle auctions and seeing what was available, and we actually purchased the Crestor for the same price it would have cost us to get a hire car for the for the two and a half weeks we were there and then then at the end of it we realized that it was probably even better of a car than we thought like we were kind of expecting it to be a bit of a rust bucket or whatever because we literally bought it online we'd never seen it we didn't get it inspected i think we paid two grand for it or something so we rolled the dice on that and yeah when it turned up it was super clean car and we actually ended up road tripping it from um a say car which is like in hokkaido all the way south to um, to the Mee Prefecture. So that's kind of like uh, Brisbane to Melbourne, but it also involves a ferry, so kind of spirit of Tasmania-type vibe as well. Um, yeah, so once once that was shipped to Australia, it sat just in storage for three or four years. We didn't really... It, wasn't, it was never bound to be the car it currently is, but we just kind of end, ended up getting this... Um, 
this deal through MCM as well with Transformers. They they wanted to build um, just like a promotional vehicle for one of the Transformers movies that was coming out at the time. And we ended up building it for that. And it ran 9.9 the first day we raced it. Uh, at that point, it only had a very basic Q's Turbo 400, no trans brake. And it had a, a, just an FG turbo engine with a bolt-on turbo and a couple other bits and pieces. So I think it made 450 kilowatts on Castle Hills Dyno, something like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was never never meant to be the eight second car that it is. Like the best that's run now is eight one. So yeah, wow. And we're we're gunning for that seven. Like it's <laughs> got the mile an hour. So we've just got to get more track time. Like Sydney's closed, so we don't really have a track to race at at the moment. Um, potentially we'll head north to Willowbank before Sydney opens back up. Um, but the one event that I do want to try and do is Kendall, which is only a, well they've got a test day in a couple of weeks, but then their next events later in the year. So. We'll try and get up and have a bit of fun and do that. A bit of a celebration when you crack a seven in the car, no doubt. <laughs> oh, mate, it'll be a it'll be a blast. So, but then obviously the next when it runs sevens, we've got to then make some adjustments to the chassis, and I've got to buy more safety equipment. So, to keep continually running that seven second time frame, you've got to obviously step up your safety gear again. So you basically run out of tech at eight zero. So once you jump into that seven second bracket, you've got to obviously make some improvements to your cage and get a Hans helmet restraint system and other bits and pieces is it in terms of um future builds what's what's in the what's in the pipeline you think oh uh, i don't really know to be honest like we're <laughs> just kind of having a bit of fun with what we're doing at the moment like we've got four or five cars that we more or less muck around with on the channel um like from my daily fgu to the sigma and obviously the crest is pretty prevalent in that as well we've got a couple of uh, s13 sylvias and 180s that keep popping up as well, and then we got the IS two hundred as well. So there's, I mean, it is really like majority of it's Jap stuff, but we do do obviously the Barracon and as well. And mm. I wouldn't mind getting into the the LS um, genre sooner or later. I'm not sure where or how that'll pop in. Uh, I know everyone kind of there's a bit of a love hate relationship with LS engines, but <laughs> uh, I think they're a fantastic platform for for the purpose that they are a bang for buck combo. Yeah. And they're just so so widely supported in the aftermarket industry. Like you can buy plug-in looms from Haltech that literally just hook straight up. You've got so much stuff that you can just buy off the shelf for them. So yeah, it's it's definitely something I want to explore in the in the pipeline. Like there's nothing penciled in yet, but I would like to get into it. Yeah, I think everybody knows someone who's got an LS1 lying around it. You know, in some sort of garage. You know, or yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've had yeah, I've had quite a few of them, but I've never done anything with them. I end up just selling them all. <laughs> So in terms of um, what's the with, with the YouTube channel, I guess you're going to mm-hmm. always just plan to keep pumping out content, changing it up and doing stuff and lots of different builds. I mean, obviously there's a lot of engagement too. I've, I've looked quite through your channel and people are really, really into, into your stuff, that's for sure. No, thanks for watching, mate. Yeah, we, um, we don't have a strategy as such. Like we're more or less, like I said, we would, we'd be doing this stuff anyway. So more or less just covering what we're already doing with our project cars or trips or racing or and and just kind of mixing all that together and just trying to share it and get it out there yeah absolutely have you got a memory from from uh have you been to someone else obviously you've been to someone else before mm-hmm. have you got a memory from there you from the first time you say turned up um <laughs> the first time i actually went to someone else i was i was about someone at 16 i think and when it was a bit more rough and rowdy and and not <laughs> obviously with the current management and to be honest, I didn't really like it. I, I really didn't have a good time. But um, Andy and Adrian actually coaxed me back to about someone that's 31, 30 or 31 in that kind of era. Mm-hmm. And I just had a blast and I've been to everyone since. Like it's just uh, – it, it just it's a heaps nicer dynamic. Like it's way more family friendly. And, yeah, I just had a blast and I look forward to every year. So last year, obviously, the last few years we've had the introduction mm-hmm. of Skid Row and – yeah. Um, the first year of Skid Row, my Cresta actually was still on its way back from America, so I didn't have a car. I ended up borrowing a mate's Fairlane and, and having a rip <laughs> through there. That was pretty fun. Um, that actually that had a supercharged VH45 in it, so another Japanese V8 thing. That was pretty cool. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, and then obviously someone else just gone. We had we were lucky enough to have the Cresta. Um, yeah. So yeah, we plenty of Skid Row action, and we also made 1270 horsepower on the mainline hub dyno. Yeah. Yeah, I, Skid Row is a is a uh, 
something that's turned in from, I guess, an idea into something that's really pumped up that whole area of that summer nuts. You know, it's it's going all day, you know, and mm, it's, it's yeah, just it was a, a fantastic concept. And I think that kind of takes the the tension out of the air and it gives people a, yeah. a release. Like you got so much enthusiasm and and um, testosterone just sort of bouncing around the place, and it, it gives uh, all the people that are driving their cars around somewhere to kind of release that tension in a safe and controlled environment without causing damage to the public or injuries or anything like that. So, yeah, it's a fantastic concept and it's just working so well. Yeah, I agree. And by the end of it, by the Sunday, there's rubber literally like <laughs> almost up yeah. as, high, as high as the concrete barriers, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> so tell us where everybody can follow all your stuff, Benny, and and uh, check out all your content. Yeah, mate. Like as as we mentioned, we've got the YouTube channel, so it's just Benny's Custom Works on YouTube. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find us. We've got socials, but most of our stuff is covered on that YouTube channel. So yeah, check us out on there. Yeah, sweet man. Really appreciate you coming on the show today. No, really no, thanks for having me. No worries, man. Make sure you check out lots of Benny's stuff, and we'll, we'll see you again soon, mate. No doubt. Hopefully, it's summer nuts. Fingers crossed. We'll see you soon, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Bye. All right, here's a word from one of our major sponsors. Burson Garage is your home for exclusive tips, offers, competitions, and expert advice from the most experienced parts people in the game. The Burson Garage program is designed for individuals who have a serious connection with their car and garage, who want expert advice from the most experienced parts people. They're so serious about connecting you with the best parts people, they left out an online shop and developed the call and collect program so you can talk directly to their parts gurus. Sign up today and you'll be in the running to win the ultimate home garage upgrade worth over $7,000. Visit bursongarage.com.au for more info. We are here with one of the most humble and most popular guys in the burnout scene, Phil Gergine who's also well-known for smashing tyres off his VK wagon, Tough Street. Tell me, Phil, when did burnouts become a pretty serious hobby for you? Oh, mate, cars were always something in my blood. Um, got that from my dad and all that sort of stuff. You know, he was right into, you know, sports car racing in Europe and um, our first sort of races over here touring cars. But um, burnouts were sort of, yeah, probably, I think I started in 2000. I don't know, some of that's 15, I think, was my first ever burnout, so... The first one was at Summer House 15. Never done a never done a skill on the street, so I wasn't that bad dude that kept getting sure. Home. Sure you didn't. <laughs> no, actually, I actually I actually did my first ever proper burnout was actually legit straight at Summer House. It was funny wow. story. I had Joe Pagano was actually behind me in the lineup. Yep. And um, my car had only just been featured in Street Commodores magazine back then. And um, he comes up to me, he goes, Hey Phil, like he goes, Oh, you got any tips? And I looked at him, I turned around and said, me, man, I've got no chips, mate. I'm my first ever skid. He's turning around and going, shit, me too. Yeah. The funniest thing about that was we actually both went through our burnouts. So this was when you used to come out at the other end where you used to go underneath the grandstand. Yeah. I just remember, you know, like your heart was beating. I'm just like, holy shit, now this is crazy. And I sort of got through. And then as soon as I hit the throttle, I forgot about the crowd and I was just trying to do my own thing. And yeah, managed to get tyres off my first ever skid. So I was like, yeah, that was back in that aspirated 304 back then. So. But yeah, Joe, they done the same thing. He'd done a good skit as well. And then we both ended up on the news and he got massive amounts of shit because being from an Italian family, and he'll tell you this story too, he was supposed to be up the coast for the Christmas, New Year period holiday. Yeah. Oh, God. And around, he told his parents that he was actually had, he had to work through. So his parents <laughs> said, yeah, okay, if you've got to work, that's okay. But then they <laughs> see him on TV on the news on Channel 7 or Channel 10 or whatever it was. <laughs> Here is Joe doing burnouts. He went to someone else by himself, done burnouts, and then drove home and got in trouble with his parents. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first car, Phil? Uh, first, like, what, proper car? Like, yeah. I've had plenty of cars. My first car was a Dado 200B. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the wagon the wagon was the first car that me and my wife bought together. Yeah, we had it for 25, 26 years now. So yeah, that was the first car and we always intended to do something to it. I don't think we inspected it to get this bad, but yeah. <laughs> it was always meant to be something. So you, you didn't build that as a skid car originally. You used it, it was a you drove it in that first, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was I always wanted to be a nice tidy street car, you know. Yeah. Done the original thing, you know, low was padded suspension, done up the motor, had a two five three originally and stuff, and then that obviously wasn't enough. So then we went three oh four with a VN heads and stuff, and then it didn't have no roll cage or tubs, but it had a nine inch and stuff in it. And we went to the drags and um I ended up getting logged by Andrew for going too quick at the time. That was in two thousand and one or two. 
Uh, we went 10.95s at the street track at the old Eastern Creek Raceway, like or City Motorsport Park these days. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then eventually sort of started going more into the racing. So that's when I bought my other car, the HP Toronto, that we had gassed. Um, and then that got serious for a few years. And then when I've been that at Power Cruise one year, I decided to build the wagon as a, as a sort of showy event car that could do everything, you know, like do all the different events, you know, still hold its own in the show and shine, but, you know, do power skids, burnouts, whatever. And then I'll bring the Toronto back out. And it's been, I think, 15 or 16 years and the Toronto still hasn't seen a lot of day. So <laughs> still got it, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's rushing away very, very slowly. It's interesting what you said there about when you, you tidied it all up and that, because I remember you were one of the first cars to build that car to a pretty much an elite standard, especially for a burnout car. And, uh, mm-hmm. And then the great graphic down the side. Tell, tell us your thoughts on, on that. Where'd that come from, that idea? Well, the first idea was, the first, well, the main idea was initially when we first went blown. Um, there was a few past comments that people turned around and said, if I had a blower, I'd do a lot better in judging or whatnot and that. And that sort of pissed me off because I had some money for the Tirana, for the new motor for the Tirana, and I just ended up going out and buying a blower and a hat and all that sort of stuff. So then we done some paint work and tidied it right up, and then that was when we first won Tough Street. We ended up winning it one year runner-up the next year and then winning it again the third year. Correct. Um, and then I've got exclusive customs on board through with them and PPG and stuff and we got a bit of a new sort of scheme together, got some new rims and um, a mate's missus, Craig Whittett, his, his uh, former partner, she um, done the trim back, Lloyd. She um, done a mad new leather trim and stuff, which is still in it today. To, to be different, I wanted to have some old-school style graphics but without going too old-school. So we've done this sort of razor-style graphic and then inside it put all the past winners of Tough Street into the paint job. Yeah, so that's awesome. Most, so a lot of people that see one side of the car, then they walk around the other side and they go, oh, shit, it's different. They don't actually realise it's all painted, like airbrushed on and and they don't realise the background stories. Like, and there's even some guys like that have actually seen their own cars on there going, oh, shit, I didn't know the car was on there. Like they didn't realise <laughs> what it was about, you know. Like, so, yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a bit out of date now. Yeah, it's, it's probably missing about four or five cars now. So <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe I'll have to do some more paintwork. I don't know. And a great concept. I really love that idea. Yeah, but with paint like that, no doubt it does. It's got a. It's got a irky when you might just little nick on the wall or something like that. It's got a surely. <laughs> You're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, well, when we, when we done the like the top half of the cars all in PPG vibrant. So as no Owen knows, all these you know special paints are pretty expensive and pretty fancy. Mm-hmm. So the bottom half of the car is black. But Glenn, being Glenn from Exclusive Customs, he didn't leave it standard black. So it's actually called like it's got some sort of flamboyant stuff in it. So it's actually got a a light flake to it as well. So even when they've had to do fire damage or repairs yeah. and I've it or whatever, it's not just a simple, just quick black unless we're going to send it. Like it's, you know, they, they file finish it and make it all mint again, hoping that I don't wreck it again. So that was the, that was the big thing when we unveiled the car. We had Charlie Hutton in the car from the States. He was over here for PPG and first gear there, like out of the, we were, got unveiled on the Friday night and Saturday lunchtime I had to go out and do the burnout. And, yeah, torched the whole back end of the car, like, on the pad, you know. Like, it was just like, wow. And the damage was not cool. Like, it was just down. Yeah, so it was a weird, bit of a tough thing, but, yeah. Tell me about when you are. You are obviously a part of uh, the first time testing out Skid Row. I remember back in the uh, – there was some stuff that you were there, one of the first people to test it out before. This, all, this is well before summer, that's, you know, a few months before. What was that like? It was about, it was about this time of year. It was bloody cold. I could do that. It was <laughs> Canberra around, I think, I think it was like, yeah, July or August or something like that. But, yeah, it was bloody cold. But, yeah, yeah, it was good fun. Like, I was I only got to do one skid in the wagon. Um, the EPA turned around reckon we were too noisy. So, because they had, like, it cost, like, people don't realise how much it cost someone else to do that just that day. Like, yeah. I couldn't even imagine because it was people from EPA and oh, work cover or work safe and all that and coppers there. And there was so many people. And then there was people that were there actually moving all the brick walls and fencing and trying to just work out what would work and what wouldn't work and that to keep the punters happy at some of that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so I done one of the first skids and then they just turned around and said, look, just don't bring that one back out because it's <laughs> just too loud. Um, I was like, okay, no worries, which is weird because there was a couple of other loud cars there as well. There was, there was probably about 15, 20 cars there that day, so it was a pretty cool day. Um, but, yeah, we had skid truck there, you know, the, farm, the thing we'd done for farm truck and Asian stuff, so we got to smash a few sets on that. So, yeah, it was all good fun. Surely you knew, surely you knew then when you, when you guys were setting that up, like this is going to go off. This is going to be a something that's really going to, you know, change that whole side of the, the venue, you know, during the event. Oh, mate, you know, I, I said to Andy Lopez and Adrian on that day, I was doing around 
you guys are off your head. And they're going, well, I said, how do you, because I, 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 I'll be honest, I just never thought that would ever work. And the funniest thing, well, it's not so much it wouldn't work. I just didn't think it'd be allowed control. to work. Yeah, the control. Yeah. Control the permission wise, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they've made it work so perfect. It's almost been too, too flawless, if you could say. Like everyone was complaining about it before summer nights. But then once someone that's rolled around, everyone shut their mouth because they realised how awesome it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's just right. been such a great thing. I reckon the only way you could better it now is if you've done a, a similar idea on the other side of the track. So that way, because what happens is everyone kept trying to do the same laps on that same side of the road and you're not allowed to turn from the other side of the road, not allowed to turn into it. So so everyone just tends to do laps in one direction now. So, so yeah, it's sort of, but, yeah, what do you do? You've got to take a good with the bad, I suppose, but, yeah. Careful, careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. You know what, mate? One day it might happen. Like it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> look at look at that. Like when, when they turned around first, said they wanted to do burnouts in Dust Street. I just thought, yeah, right, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and yeah, look at it now. It's been what, going two years, three years, and it's been cool. Yeah, it's mad. Just to touch on your, on your VK, Phil, there, just for like people who, who might be watching who don't know, obviously it's people, uh, the LS scene is very getting very big. You've never gone there. Do you want to give us a rundown on, on the setup in the VK? Um. Well, when I had my HP Tirana, I bought a pretty cheap small block Chev and we'd done, like, I think I'd done about 300-odd passes on that engine, um, half a dozen burnouts, maybe or maybe a dozen burnouts, like comps. And back then, that's that was a couple of years' worth because there wasn't a lot of comps back then mm. um, and also a couple of weddings and stuff. So, And that engine, it was only because of me being a tight ass when I was younger that I didn't sort of spend the extra money to pull it down and give it a service and that and find out how the block was. We split a block and that, you know, and it was a standard block. But it just seemed to cut the punishment. So I've always stuck with small block shares because the parts are reasonably cheap. Yeah. Once it's there, you know. So And I already had most of it set up where the LS was still in the early stages of the LS scene, you know. like And, and you know, everyone calls me an LS hater and stuff and it's all funny. We have jokes and stuff and half mates have got LSs in their cars and that's cool. I don't care. Like, it's, it's just piss take more than anything. But, um... Yeah, it's just something I've just stuck with the old school motor because I'm a bit more serious, you know, and there's not too many serious LS combos out there that can sort of handle the high RPM. I think probably Rick Fuller's been the only reliably successful one, you know what I mean? Like, you know, with constant success with LS, so, yeah. I think your car's one of the cars in the in the scene that's definitely known for sounding bloody awesome, that's for sure, you know? When it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a different sound. Like, I, I, mm. I, I love the sound if it could be a small block version of Loader's car because that's the still best <laughs> sounding car, car in the scene. But, yeah, mm. it's just... Yeah, it is the way it is. And, and you know, I have open pipes too, so I don't want to have – try to have an exhaust and try to change the sound of it and then start creating fires and other problems. It's sort of – I'm one of those guys that, you know, if, if – well, I do me maintenance, but if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. You know? so, so did you actually build the engine in that car? No, no, Sam Fennick from West End, oh, okay. West End Performance. He's been building my motors well, since back in the HP days, so since about 2002 or three. Yeah. So I think, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's been taking care of it ever since. So, um, yeah, in touch wood, like, you know, we've, yeah, I think when we get to August this year, it's going to be four years old. So, yeah, he's a great better, guy yeah. and, a, and a great engine builder. But you do obviously do all the all the fuel and all that stuff because that's your business, isn't it? Fuel works? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I work from home these days. I used to be a painter and decorator, but yeah, now I'm doing fuel systems, uh, specializing, you know, mainly in fuel sump. Uh, fuel systems, dry sump setups. Now we're doing a lot of EFI stuff, obviously, because that's the way a lot of people are going. Like, um, just for performance and, re- and reliability, especially on street cars. Um, but yeah, doing a lot of show cars still. Like, still getting a lot of show car work. But yeah, we've been flat out. Like, yeah, pretty much booked out for the rest of this year. So it's been pretty good. Yeah, as we were saying earlier, there with this whole the whole um, coronavirus thing, I think people are uh, car guys are just finding a bit more money and a bit more time and getting stuff done, aren't they? Yeah, well, you know, the average bloke that goes, like I was talking to a couple of guys on Friday night, the average bloke that goes down to the pub, you know, two nights a week, three nights a week, and they're, you know, putting half their pay back into either pokies or beers or whatever, because they haven't been able to do that for three or four months. Come all of a sudden, money. they're looking at their bank account and going, oh, shit, what am I going to do with all this? Oh, well, I might, I might do the project out of the corner. So, and, and it has really been that case. And there's, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not saying all of them, but some guys have been going, you know what, the guys that are building bigger cars, They've just gone. I think they've just upped their level a bit more too. Like, yeah. so you got, they were happy with this, but now they've got that bit of extra money. It's like, okay, well, why don't we do this as well? You know, like, so just yeah. And I think, like you said before, I think everyone in the in the automotive trades is doing well. You know, the trimmers are doing well. The panel yeah. shops are going off their heads. Like, they they're not doing as much smash work, but they're doing so much more custom work. So they are. It's, 
yeah, the business in general has been actually not too bad. Like we've been able to survive for it pretty good, I think. Yeah. What do you What do you love most about the burnout scene? Say, you know, cars and competing aside, what, what, what's what's it, what's part of that? That I guess it's more than a hobby to you, but what what do you love about it most? Uh, a lot of the camaraderie and stuff. Like when we get to go in the state, back and forth, mates' place and that. You know, they stay here, I stay there. Like, yeah, you share houses, and if you don't share houses with them, you, you know, you hang out with them and always catch up. Like. Have you got a favourite like uh, event you've been to before, Phil? That just sticks in your mind, like you know, say even other than Summonats, that you sort of. I know you can um, travel around a bit. Yeah, like favourite single event. It's hard to single them out. Like um, the Gaznats events. Like when I went down to Adelaide and stuff, the Gaznats events down there, and even the Mildura ones and stuff like they were good events because they're just like they were all capped. Um, even like well, it was actually Gaznats in Darwin. Like I remember going around there for the first time. I went around. They said, "Oh look." We bring the blown cars out into the track now, and it's like, okay, no worries. So everyone went out there, and within two laps, everyone destroyed a brand-new set of tyres. <laughs> so then, like, they had this 10-, 15-minute dead period on the track where there was no cars on the track because everyone's back in the pits already changing tyres. Like, And then basically there was just no rules. It was like, go there, do what you want. The only thing you're not allowed to do is drive backwards. So you can't turn around and do donuts and then go the wrong way up the track. You can do donuts, you can drift around the corners, loop it, do whatever you want, smoke the whole straight out, but you've got to keep going in the direction of the circuit. Is that the only rule? Like, really? Don't drive backwards. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, and that, and that was just fun events. And because it caps, you guarantee track time, you know. Like, yeah, the, yeah. Old power, the old days of power crews were really good because there wasn't too many cars, so you got track time. Now you've got to sit in the lineup. If you haven't got the money to buy the garages and stuff, you've got to sit in the lineup for hours. And, yeah, it just sort of ruins a bit the event, you know, like for the guys that want to actually. You know, give their car a good flogging. So, what about your event that you held at Dubbo? That that was all pretty good. So, well, wasn't it? Yeah, we had no, we had no dramas there, and that, and then um, like I, I moved on to concentrate on fuel works for a bit longer, and then um, Donna went her own way, sort of thing. And then um, me and that, like me and my wife Natalie, we done uh, Burnout Outlaws four times in Sydney, but sort of just couldn't get the bums on seats, mate. You know, the whole like people don't realise the whole how much the live yeah. streaming sort of really affects. The bums on the seats, and without the bums on the seats, you don't, you know, yeah, don't cover no the cost. So, we, yep. yeah, so we lost a fair chunk of change out of those four events, um, and yeah, not prepared to sort of risk it again, you know, until I find some sort of sponsor to help pay for the bills. So, yeah, but that's part of life, eh? Hey? You learn it, and yeah, you know, the, the events themselves are good, and everyone enjoyed them, but yeah, just yeah. financially not viable, basically. Yeah. So, with the VK Phil, what's the plans? Are you going to keep 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 it? Pretty similar setup, you think, for as long as it takes to grab a trophy? You want to really want that Burnout Masters trophy, I'd imagine. Oh, the Masters one would be good. I've got the normal comp one, and that's, yeah. you know, I've got 30 again this year. But, um, yeah, you know, you've always got to sort of set your goals and keep chasing them, I suppose. But, um, yeah, yeah the, I'm not going to change the combo and rev it any harder or anything. You know, we turn it to 8,000 now. Car's yeah. been good. Um, but, yeah, I've got, like, a couple of little plans that we're sort of hoping to do. Well, I was going to do them this year, but just because of the amount of work I've had, I haven't had time. But, um we're going to sort of do a bit of a retro thing from back when the wagon was first brought out. So that'll probably be not for this summer it'll be for the summer after. So it's a bit of an early thing, but, yeah. I, I certainly would like to, like to see you win one, mate. You can certainly pedal on that car, that setup on that car. It's a crowd yeah. favourite and it sounds as sweet as you know. It's no doubt not far away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, just, just got to keep it off the walls. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but, you know. I <laughs> know. Oh, yeah. Ever since I put the VK panels on, it seems like it would be a magnet to, to fiberglass and plastic. <laughs> so do you get do you get nervous before, let's just your big event, say like summer and that, do you get nervous before you go out? Uh, these, these days, not so much. No, like I, I used to actually, even when I was drag racing, I, I got that used to it. I sort of actually started falling asleep in the car while we were waiting in the staging lanes and stuff. It just, <laughs> you get a bit bored sort of thing. Like it's just, yeah. Now, now with some of that, some of that, because obviously it's, the lineups used to be really horrendous back in the old yeah. days. They, they've changed it. So now you've got time. So you know what time to show up for your slots. And if you qualify, if you're lucky enough to get into the Masters, well, at least you know you don't have to wait for three or four hours. You know, you sort of go out there and you can do your skid. Um, but yeah, no, I don't get too nervous these days. It's usually pretty good. I'm just sort of keen and pumped to do it, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when the when the lineup used to go, when it used to come in from the other end of the burnout track, it would go all the way up the side of the grass, up oh. the side of the shed, and it was a million degrees. <laughs> There'd be a thousand cars lined up there, I remember. Yeah. You'd be so happy once you got past the shed and you started going down the downhill bit of the bitumen because you knew that you didn't actually have to push the car anymore. Like you could just jump in, pull it out of park and push it back in. Like it was just yeah. It used to be a, such a nightmare to push it along there. Hey Phil, I was just thinking there. I remember you were at uh, Red Centre, was it not last year, the year before? Did you enjoy that event? 
Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Isn't that, the street, yeah, like, isn't that an awesome event? I mean, it was just, we were going to do it this year too, but um, we've had to pull the pin because obviously Gazanats and Darwin's been cancelled. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to have the truck going to um, Northern Territory now. But, yeah, so hopefully next year we'll do it. But, yeah, it was just like, mate, you know, I got to take my young bloke for driving it. You know, I was going to say, and, you took your young bloke through the, on the cruise, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, and my daughter, like, at the time, she was only six or five and a half, six years old. She was scared shitless of the car. Every time we started, she'd be scared. But because my young bloke, Cody, was going for a lap with us, she was like, oh, when's my turn? So I was like, really? Like, so then she jumped in and we ended up doing drives, drives with her and took my young bloke for the Maccas run and stuff behind the highway. <laughs> did you go through Maccas? Of course he did. <laughs> we didn't actually go for the Maccas drive through, but we actually drove, like, done the Maccas run. Um, me and a couple yeah. of mates and that, and then we're actually following. When we were at the traffic lights, so there's a few photos going around on the net of the wagon parked behind or at the traffic lights, waiting to turn right behind a highway patrol car. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. It was, then we got into back, backers and it was just packed. It was just, yeah, people everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it mattered any of there. Just, yeah. And I'm. From what I've only done one, so from what I've heard, I reckon each year it's, it's a bit like summers. Things change and they get better and yeah. better, and yeah, yeah just improve. We, we learn as we go and different things. And one, one yeah, yeah, one thing that uh, somebody said there the other day that what they, I think it was uh, what was they really liked it because they could do drag racing, they could see the elite cars, and they could just see every part of it. And obviously, that's yeah, learn about the schedule. It's, yeah, it's, once once you work out where everything is, like, and, the, and yeah. it's, it's a pretty simple town to get used to. Like, it's not. So yeah, it's, it's not you're in Sydney and trying to work out where one-way streets and stuff. It's all correct. I mean, it's all pretty open. But yeah, it's just yeah, like I said, driving like I remember on the Sunday, like you know, I done a bit of a naughty thing on the Sunday after the burnouts there, but I didn't even put the pipes back on the car because I remember you asked me to can I bring the car back and park it on the display um, near the, when they have the presentations and stuff. Well, I said, yeah, yep. no dramas. So because we were on that and we knew how to clean the car and go back and shower up and all that, I thought, oh, we'll stop putting the pipes on. We'll just drive and see what happens. And we got back and we got through there, no dramas, you know. Like, it was so <laughs> loud. I remember, like, sitting there cruising about 100, 110 k's along there. I'm just like, all oh, right, this thing's loud, man. Like, you, know, you don't sort of notice it because when you're in a burnout, you know, you usually got a helmet yeah. on you. These are covered yeah. and muffled and stuff. But, man, yeah, from young, like, he was loving it. He was just small from year to year. So, yeah, it was all good. Awesome. awesome. Where can people follow all your stuff, Phil? All your, all your socials and stuff like that? Um, I've got the Phil Kerr G Motorsport page on Facebook. Um, I think it's Phil K Tough Street on Instagram. And then I've got my Fuel Works page and stuff. So, yeah, it's all over Facebook and stuff. Thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate Good it. Time. You, mate. Thanks, Phil. See you, mate. No worries. Catch you. Bye, mate. All right, Jim. Thank you very much. And uh, welcome to the Summer Nets podcast. Thank you. No, great to be on it. Mate, I ask this to a lot of the lot of the people. So I want to know how did you first get into cars? Well, I got into cars as a young fellow, um, walking home from from school basically, and uh, passing by a workshop that had um, go karts and and a little three quarter midgets, which were like a, like a like a speedway midget, only a smaller one. Yeah, they used to call them a TQ yep. uh, in New, in New Zealand. And um, each day I'd pass by and have a look, and then the, the owner came out one day and says, well, are you interested in cars? And I was probably about 11 or 12, I suppose, and I sort of said, yes, yeah, da, da, da. And uh, so he gave me a job sweeping the floors at the shop after school. Yeah, right. So uh, that was all good, and then I just got into things mechanical and then sort of decided to try and get a go-kart because a karting in New Zealand was just started. Yeah. And, of course, you couldn't buy a cart. You had to make it because they didn't sell Carts. It was too new. Yeah. And uh, so uh, my dad made a, a cart and uh, we went karting for, for uh, quite a few years until at the age of 15, you get your license in New Zealand. Yeah. So to get my license and uh, then just start tinkering with cars more or less. But the object of the exercise when I first got my license obviously was to get a car and, and race it. I had no idea of what that would take or, you know, what it would entail. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but sort of um, eventually, I think I was about 16 and a half, I suppose, when I first went in a competition. And um, you had to go in a, uh, in a hill climb, a loose metal hill climb. Yep. And you had to go on a straight sprint, just a, like a standing quarter mile, and a, um, a bench sprint, which was around a little, a little circuit, but one car at a time. So once you'd done that, you got your uh, your competition license. They put three stripes on the back of your car, so that if anyone coming up behind you would know that you're a learner and just be very careful. <laughs> yeah. What sort of car was that? 
105 the Anglia, 63 oh. model. Yeah, 60, 62, 63. With a sloping back window, that little angle. You know it. You, you oh, know it. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Only a day, they were, they were really good, really yeah. good. So that was your first competitive race to get your licence? Yes. Yeah, yep. unreal. <laughs> but isn't it interesting with New Zealanders, they are so um, resourceful, I guess because you didn't have a lot of things, as you said there, you couldn't buy go, I couldn't buy go-karts, they had to make it and nearly every through that 90s and 2000s, nearly every Formula One team had a Kiwi on it because they were just so resourceful. They could turn their hand to anything. No, exactly. I mean, you had to uh, you, you had to modify your car, you had to fix your car, you had to build it uh, yeah. because you couldn't – no one else did it. Yeah. Uh, and apart from that, you couldn't afford it. So uh, yeah. they were great days. They really were. And that's what makes you – what I – Yes, makes you such a good driver because then you understand the car. You know what makes it work, and you sort of know when to lean on it, when to take it easy, and you understand your car, don't you? No, exactly right. And uh, you know, mechanical sympathy is one thing you learn from a very young age because uh, you know that whatever goes bang bang in the engine, it's going to cost you money to fix it. So <laughs> exactly. be very very careful that it doesn't happen. You know, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think New Zealanders are quite resourceful because it's a, it's a very small place compared to Australia or whatever. Mm. But uh, the enthusiasts that are there, the car racing enthusiasts, are huge. I mean, they're really, really, you know, we had some absolutely great cars. We used to invite some of the Aussie drivers over to the racetracks in New Zealand to drive at uh, sort of Christmas, January. Yeah. Um, so we'd raced against some good quality Australian opposition. Yeah. But, of course, we, 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 we never had the chance to go to Australia. They, they come over here. Yeah, but and speaking about that, I've actually, I think it was 74 you had your first taste. You came to the mountain to, to take it on and in an LH Tirana. Is that correct? No, that's right. A friend of mine uh, who, who I'd driven with and against in New Zealand called Rod Coppins, and he yep. used to run a car in the same class as I did, which was like a sports sedan class. Yeah, okay. And uh, we'd also done a few of the, uh, the New Zealand equivalent to Bathurst, which was the... Uh, Benson Hedges 500 and the, yeah, the Hardy yeah. Ferrari 500, which were for New Zealand production cars. Yeah. So they were dead standard as they come off the uh, showroom floor, basically. So we'd done a few of those together. So Rod decided that he'd, he'd like to go to Bathurst. I hardly knew what Bathurst was, to be honest, because there was no magazines yeah, to right. read about it or anything like that. So, uh, But eventually I realised what it was. And uh, so uh, I went over as uh, Rod's co-driver. And um, Rod... Sent a guy, a friend of his, named his nickname is Jandals. Guy in New Zealand, he's still with us today. Mark Sheehan. He went over, picked the car up on an old trailer, and then went uh, and prepared it. Basically, one, one or two guys prepared it, wow. and uh, and then ran ran it to Bathurst and come third. <laughs> yeah, wow. What did you find that intimidating? Like the track itself, as a lot of people say about Bathurst. No, no, because you you don't think of those things. Yeah, right. All, all, all a young driver or even an older driver sees is a track. He doesn't see that there's a 500-foot drop one side or yeah, you know, right. barbed wire fence or whatever because you, you believe in yourself you're never going to go off the track. Yeah. You, know, you think, oh, hey, I'm on the charge and I'll blaze around here and no problem. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't daunted at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, probably later on you realise, geez, you know, that was a, it was a big effort, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yet I just hear now with the whole 12-hour production thing, and I've talked to a lot of the overseas drivers that come out for that, it's all they've ever wanted to do was come and race at Bathurst. It is such an iconic track, isn't it? No, it certainly is. I mean, and obviously it was, uh, it would have been, and it probably was one of the things I'd love to do but I could never afford to do it by myself. So I, yeah. I, I didn't even think about it. I just was happy to race my own little cars or big cars <clears throat> in New Zealand and, and uh, be, be happy with that. But until I got the, the, you could say, the offer to go and, you know, and Rod had to pay my airfare and everything to get me over yeah. there because I didn't have any money. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden you realise that there is another world outside New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> so in the middle of 75, I think it was, you brought that famous Sid Crow Mustang to Australia. How did that come about then? Well, that basically came about because the sponsors in New Zealand uh, when we built the car were Sutrone Tools and they were just opening up a new division oh. in New Zealand. Yeah. And all Sutrone Tools was in New Zealand was one man who uh, had an office in, uh, in Newton in Auckland and he'd, he'd uh, go around the country selling tools and when he got back from a tour of the country virtually, he'd order them, they'd come over and he'd distribute them. 
Mm. So they were trying to get a bigger profile, and so um, I approached uh, a, a guy that I knew who was an advertising executive. He just happened to handle Sigtram's account. So I told him that we wanted to build a, a Mustang, and um, he said, right, oh, no problem. He said, he said, have you got a proposal? I said, no, I haven't got anything. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do you one. And so he did a little proposal asking if uh, Sigtram would be interested in full sponsorship on a uh, Ford Mustang because we thought my little group of guys that were all friends uh, thought, no, no, we'll, we'll go Mustang because Mustangs were probably the most competitive yeah. thing at the time. Yeah. Uh, other than the Camaros and that, but the Mustang was the one we chose to go with. Anyway, um, he approached Sigtron and he said to me, oh, how much money do you need? And uh, so this is 1971 is when we built the car. And um, uh, I said $12,000. We had to buy a car, a road car, and turn it into a racing car and race it on twelve thousand dollars. Wow! So that's how we started with that that particular car. Yeah. When the um, the contract period finished with Sigtram in New Zealand, they still owned the car because I said that they would own the car, okay. therefore being able to recoup a little bit of money. I didn't need to say that, and I don't know why I did because I could have had the car. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was. Um, a friend of mine who was a used car dealer in, uh, in Auckland, a good guy by the name of Jerry Clayton, I was working for him at the time repairing second-hand cars. And he said, uh, listen, why don't I buy the car of Sigtram and then get the Sigtram Australian company to sponsor it and we'll go to, go to Australia. And uh, I just got had been married and just, you know, didn't, didn't really know what, to, what I was doing <laughs> travel-wise. Yeah. So anyway, as it turned out, uh, he, he bought the car. He got sponsorship from Sigtram Australia to, to run it for a season. And so we, we shipped it over and uh, ran our first meeting at Sandown in, in July of 75. And won both races. Yes, we did. We, we only qualified Correct. fourth because yeah. it was dry and, uh, and a new circuit. And, and there was Alan Moffat. There was Bob Jane, Brian Thompson, I think there was. Anyway, there was a good, you know, good names there. And um, anyway, on the race day, uh, it rained and um, we won both races. So yeah. all of a sudden we're, we were unknown stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, like you had become, I guess from that, and become known as the Rainmaster. And is that because you raced a lot in New Zealand in the wet or because of your dirt track speedway, your car control? What do you reckon? Well, I suppose it was a bit of everything because, I mean, Realistically, I, I hadn't raced that much in the wet in New Zealand. And now and again, okay. of course, but, uh, you, know, um, you know, you know, people often say, well, you know, well, what's the secret about driving in the, in the wet so well? And I said, well, basically, you've got to make sure you've got good tyres and just pretend it's a dry track and it's a bit slippery. Yeah, and, and car controller. Interesting, it, yeah. it's something to do with New Zealand because you have a look at um, like Scotty and, and Shane Van Giswin, yeah. they're actually really good in the rain. So must be something to do with all you Kiwis, eh? <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was different in, in, in my day, obviously, than it is now. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you just tried as hard as you could and if, 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 you, if you didn't win, it didn't matter. But, yeah. of course, nowadays you've got to win. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you mentioned there a um, couple of, couple of names and you raced against some of the greatest Aussie drivers of all time in Moffat and Bob Jane, Brian Thompson, Gossie, JB, Dick Johnson. Yep. Who, who would you rate as, not so much the best driver, but the best racer? Who did you like racing against? Well, I'd probably like racing against anyone who, who um, what would you say, um, had confidence in the way yeah. that I drove. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had the confidence in the way that he drove, as in. If you're having a really good race, it meant that you could actually pass someone around the outside on a bend um, and I'm knowing that they wouldn't, run they, wouldn't, they wouldn't run you off. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, then you would have an alliance with them more or less that you, you wouldn't do either to them. So that, that made fantastic racing. But, I mean, now the, the stakes are too high to, to, uh, to, to drive on the outside of someone and hope that yeah. he doesn't put you off, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, the, the the best drivers were, were different drivers in each class that I ran. You know, I ran production cars, sports sedans, touring cars. But most of the guys at the front of the field are good because they realise if they crash into somebody, they may not finish the race themselves. So they're pretty yeah. careful, you know. It's probably down the mid into the back of the field where the, where the, the, the older or the young guys are, are reasonably desperate. 
get a result where yeah. they don't really think too much about what damage they do. <laughs> so you didn't really name anybody, but is there anybody you particularly like racing against? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, all the, all the front guys, I mean, Bowie was a terrific driver, hard to pass. Yes, um, and well known for that. Up, would, would not give up anything <laughs> to nobody, but, uh, but fair. Yeah. You know, if, if you'd finally sort of done a, done a job on him, then he would, you know, he would realise that was that and, and way would go again. But uh, Dick, Dick Johnson, Rocky, Rocky was a gentleman to drive against. Yeah. Uh, not that I ever drove that much against but people. Against him, uh, yeah. I drove with him at the Bathurst and Sandowns and stuff. But um, yeah. But having, but having watched him obviously over the years, uh, he, he was he was a, a real gentleman, but absolutely wanted to win. Yeah. But he would, but he would give you a room where room was needed. I'll get onto that in a minute because another thing I wanted to ask you was you, you also seemed to be the, the go-to guy. Everybody wanted you to drive with them as their co-driver and then you've driven with Dossie and Mark Scape and of course Peter Brock. Who, who did you really like driving with as a co-driver? Anybody in particular? Well, I think the, 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 the probably the, the, the best fun and, and personal satisfaction that I had was driving with my, my son, Steve. Ah. Uh, as a co-driver, not a lead driver, you know, I went and drove with him just to, to help their team out type of thing. Did but he tell I you mean, what to do? <laughs> Did he tell no, you what to do? No, but, but, but I didn't tell him what to do either. So <laughs> we, 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 we got off to a good start. Um, yeah, that's great. But uh, Scafie, Tony Longhurst, because mainly they were in the era that I did well. And like Tony and I would drive together at the long distance races, and he was terrific. Uh, Scafie probably was the, I want to say, the, one of the best to drive with um, and against, but, but with especially because he did all the testing of the cars. Yeah. And, right. and, I, and I didn't do any testing because there was no, no need to do that. Um, so whenever I got in the car, if Scafie set it up the way that he wanted it, and I adapted to how he wanted it. But how he wanted it was as fast as it could go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it didn't matter if it had a little idiosyncrasy of some sort. We'd both drive, I, I would drive around whatever I, I thought the problem was. Not that there was any problem. Yeah. He, he was really good at setting the cars up. Also, I, I just was just thinking about some of the makes and vehicles and different types of cars you've driven. You, you, you drove for Volvo, Holden, Ford, Nissan, BMW. You also raced the cars. You said the touring cars, and and uh, you even done a bit of NASCAR, didn't you? When it was here in Australia. Yeah, NASCAR, uh, international rallies, rallying in New Zealand, yeah. Speedway. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've I've done everything: Porsche, Carrera Cup, all that sort of stuff. Mainly because I just love driving. I love cars, yeah. and yeah. I had done all my life. And uh, so the chance to to drive something different than something else was always always appealed to me. You've done really well with the, the BMW, the JPS BMW. That was must have been a good part of your career. No, it was. I mean, that was probably um, one of the most successful times in my career was when I joined uh, BMW. But um, um, in the BMW team as well, Frank Arnold did all the testing. So I already just did the driving and the, and the races, the, the qualifying and the races. And I, and I got to practice, but I, but I wouldn't go to Sydney, for, for instance, to do a, uh, a test day. Frank would do all that. So yeah, it, it, you could say it was reasonably, it wasn't easy, but it was just I could get on with what I was doing in Melbourne if, and, and Frank would uh, get the car prepared and when I arrived, he'd say, all right, hop in, young fella, and uh, away you go. Um, it was quite nice to have someone call me young fella once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember those days well, actually, and that, the beautiful-looking car it was so well presented, wasn't it? No, it certainly was the, uh, the the black and the gold looked magnificent. But gee, they get they get dirty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Did, what about um, any of the others? Volvo? Did you enjoy driving? Oh, I suppose you enjoy driving anything, but anything stand out to you with other cars? No, the the Volvo was brilliant to drive, and the the last one that I drove obviously was the one that we won Bathurst in, uh, which had won the British Touring Car Championship. Yeah, and that car uh, you would hardly know that it was front wheel drive. It was just an absolute little rocket. And uh, I think if you ask anyone who drives Super Tourers, it's, um, you know, when they're set up properly, you would hardly know they're front-wheel drive, yeah, which, right. is, uh, which is great. And they, they were terrific to drive, really, really good. Uh, you mentioned um, Steve earlier. Between you and Steve, you've won Bathurst 12 times. I reckon that's – I use you seven. And like I said with Steve, 12 times, that's, that's amazing. So do – I don't know whether people actually – 
I made a point of that because I don't think people realise what such a great effort that is. No, I, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a terrific, terrific feat. But it is. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some dads play tennis and their sons play tennis, but motor racing is a bit different. Where where you have no expectations of your of your kids or your son or daughter or whatever to, to follow in your, in your footsteps because you know how much much a hard job it is. You know. Yeah. Get, in, get in there. The, the, the easy part is driving the car. It's physically get in there. If you can't get with a good team, the right team, you're not going to go any good. If you haven't yeah. got the right budget, you're not going to go any good. So Steve, uh, he did all, all by himself, promoted himself and all that sort of stuff. But um, uh, you've got to be a talented driver to be in the V8 supercars now anyway. So he, he won his share of races. And the fact that we won 12 Bathursts is uh, you, you tend to sort of skip over it. Yeah, that's why I made a but point of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So hang on, hang on. I've, I've won seven. Steve's won five. Yeah, uh, that, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think it'll ever happen again. I don't either. That's why I made yeah. the point. And you know, you talk to people like Glenn Seaton, who probably all he ever wanted to, he's never, he didn't win one. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. to win twelve is just absolutely amazing. So I really did want to make that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your time there with Brocky obviously would have been really good. You enjoyed that? I certainly did. Um, uh, it was it was sort of the first time I drove with Pete was in '78, and uh, I was in '77. I'd driven I'd driven my own car at Bathurst with Rod Coppins driving yep. co-driving for me. Yep. And uh, we had a uh, mechanical failure on about lap 50 something, I think. Um, so we didn't finish, and I, I had no money left, as in sponsors had pulled out. Da da da. da. Um, and virtually. Uh, it was, um, you know, probably not going to drive again. And all of a sudden, I got a call from Rocky's accountant, would you believe? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he rang me and asked me if I wanted to drive with Peter. <laughs> What'd you say? Uh, I said, let, me, uh, let me think yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, I reckon I could, probably. <laughs> let me think about that for about one second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but he, t- he tempted me with $5,000 to, to oh, drive wow. with Pete. Uh, wow. This is in 78. And uh, then I got a small percentage of the prize money. But because that particular year, you had um, lap money. So you got a certain amount of money. If you led. the laps you led. Yeah, And right. I, I think the prize pool was about $100,000. Wow. Because you had this trophy, that trophy, this company, that company. So it wasn't just the first place. Yeah. It was all the other little things that went along with it. So I ended up uh, being able to eat for another year. Wow. You thought, how long's this been going on, eh? No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and Pete was good to drive with. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Pete. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I never really, um, I mean, I, I, I met Pete, uh, heard of him, obviously, and said hello, nod, had a nod in the pit area. But uh, I only really met him properly in, 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 until we drove from Perth to Melbourne together, non-stop, the next yeah, wow. Falcon. Wow. <laughs> During the, 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 the pilot strike. Oh, but right. Brocky was terrific. I mean, he never, ever said, oh, hang on, we don't want you to do that or don't want to do that. He just let you do exactly what you wanted, how you wanted. And um, But I think it's the old story. I think he had confidence yeah, in the fact exactly. that, that, that I wouldn't do anything stupid. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go and try, try and uh, outshine him by any yeah. means. Yeah. And I just did the job that he employed me to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that he appreciated that. Um, and uh, given that, uh, the last time we won Bathurst in... Uh, 80, uh, I stayed in to drive across the first line. Yeah. Now, he's never done that before, uh, apparently. This uh, is very, yeah, many years ago. So yeah. that was a, an indication that he, that he sort of trusted me. <laughs> what car was that? That was in the Commodore. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, first, first of the Commodores. And obviously, you, as you did mention earlier with Steve, that, but that was probably the most enjoyable, I guess, winning with Steve. Or driving with Steve? No, yeah, we didn't, didn't win with Steve. Yeah, we got yeah, uh, we, we came second, yeah. um, and and that was like a win because it was just no other dad, father and son have done that. No, and ended up in the podium at uh, Bathurst. But um, yeah, I mean, we never in our wildest dreams thought we would come that close. We thought yeah. we'd be competitive, but I mean, of course, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, no, it was uh, it was it was great times, terrific. He's definitely a chip off the old block. Steve's an awesome driver as well and can drive anything. He's, uh, I've followed him fairly close to his career and uh, caught up with him at quite a few events as well. Yeah, great guy. No, no, he is. He's good. He's, he, he's been to Bathurst nearly as many times as me. 
but starting yeah. off as a young fellow about four years old, three years old or something. <laughs> he had no choice there. No choice. Uh, no. Oh, no we'd, drive, we, we'd drive up every year, all the kids and, uh, and everything, drive up and treat it as a family holiday. <laughs> yeah. So what do you drive today? What sort of car do you drive on the road? Uh, I've got a Porsche Macan, the little SUV. Nice. Which is uh, which is good, good, good thing. I've had that for a few years. Yeah. Um, and I've uh, still, got, still got the race cars. Yeah, one, I was, you know, I was yeah. going to ask that, Mr. C, in the background there. So you obviously still race touring car masters. What, no, um, no, I don't. No? No, no, no I stopped uh, probably a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, but I've still got the cars. So I haven't sold the cars. I kept the cars. Yeah. I can I can see behind you. You also got a Nissan. What else you got in your collection then? Well, the Nissan Nissan is the car that I won the nineteen ninety Australian Touring Car Championship in. Yeah, and I've got that, and I own the, the BMW M three that I won the eighty seven Australian Touring Car Championship in as well. That's fantastic. So uh, yeah, so, so I got I got them a long time after the fact that you know because initially no one wanted to buy them. No, and uh, because we nowhere to race them. Yeah. Well, then when these the heritage touring cars and the Group A and that came on, uh, I, I went and bought them for old times' sake, more or less. But all of a sudden, they became a class that you could race in as well. So yeah. I raced in this in a few times um, yeah. in that in that class. It's been terrific. Yeah, that's good. So, what do you will you do any racing at all now? What are you doing now? Uh, to be honest, I do all I do is the heritage touring car, but I do about three meetings a year, yeah. uh, and that's in the six three five BM that I raced over here which now lives in New Zealand, and we do uh, one or two meetings in New Zealand and usually some of Phillip Island in the heritage touring cars. Mm. But that's about all. I do some Porsche club sprints. Uh, I'll do a few hill climbs, still do the, uh, the target tours, so yep. not the competition but the tour, the tour which, yep. is, which, is, which, is, which is virtually as good as a competition yeah. for, for enjoyment purposes. It's fantastic. So anyone who thinks they want to have a, have a really good time and uh, enjoy themselves, they should go and do it. And I've seen you at um, MotorX and Summonets a, a couple of times. Have you enjoyed the, the uh, that other side of the, the show cars and that type of thing? No, I certainly have. I mean, uh, the fans are, are, are a huge thing when it comes to motorsport. They, they follow drivers, they follow cars, and uh, anything that you can do to, to mingle with them and mix with them is, uh, is terrific. And uh, I'm a car person. I love cars, still yeah, love them. You do. And, um, Every day of my life, I come in, in the workshop and I might only come for a half an hour or so, but uh, I'm always here just tinkering around. But yeah. um, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see the, uh, the enthusiasm and the, uh, the brilliance of these guys who build the, the rods and the special custom cars. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed every time I go to a show like MotorX or Summonats, their workmanship is just out of this world. Yeah, it, it is, and it, it's it's uh, it's another really um, interesting and and significant part of, of motor motor motorsport, isn't it? Motor no, no, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of motorsport. Lots yeah. of motorsport you do, you don't even race, you don't even race. Yeah, it is motorsport. It's re- it's not motor business, although it is now. <laughs> yeah, and it all consumes money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I just just thinking when we've been chatting here, did you ever? race against or no uh, Bruce McLaren and Chris Amon, piece people like that from New Zealand? No, I never raced against them. I was just coming on when, when, the, when Bruce left to go overseas. Yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, I, I have since met and, and, and chatted with, he's passed away now. Yeah. But uh, in his later years when he was retired, um, he'd, he'd go to some of the meetings and he, was, and he represented Toyota at, a, at a, quite a few of the meetings and that. Yeah. But uh, lovely guys. I mean, Denny Hume was a friend of mine who yes, stayed yes. at our house occasionally. Yeah. And he was a, just a you know, fan. I mean, the drivers of those e- that, that era were ultra, ultra brave. And um, yeah. it was a bit like they didn't know that you didn't have a roll bar. You didn't need a roll bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or they, you know, the fact that when they started, they didn't, didn't use seatbelts. So if it rolled over, they'd fall out. Yeah. I mean, it was just incredible. But, you, of course, you, don't, you never think of the bad parts. Yeah. You don't think of how unsafe it is. You don't think how da- dangerous it could be. All you're concentrating on is yeah. driving your car. Yeah, <laughs> as you were saying. Did you ever do Pikes Peak? No, I never did Pikes Peak, no. Yeah, that's another – but it's world famous. And I just think – I'm just thinking as we're rattling off there, New Zealand's such a small country, but it's got such a famous event yeah. and it's so many famous drivers and come out of that small place. No, no, they have. Exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's – 
it's just a testament testament to the way that uh, everyone's brought up and uh, the work ethic everyone sort of adheres to. You know, yeah. if you yeah. can't if you can't buy it, you got to make it. Got to make it exactly. <laughs> so what's coming up? I know you're stuck right in the middle of the whole pandemic down there in Melbourne again. But what's coming up for you in the future? Uh, well, I'm. You, you, you could say I'm retired, but doing, still doing a little bit of promotional work and, and have a drive occasionally, uh, and thoroughly enjoying it. Um, That's good. Get out of bed a bit later and come to the work a bit later and go home a bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All but right, no, mate. It's terrific. Uh, look, I just want to thank you again for your time, but I really want to congratulate you on on such a fantastic career and, um, yeah, just you've been awesome, a great driver and a great person. So thank you for your time. Pleasure. Nice to be here. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Webby, what a mad show, mate. Yeah, fantastic. Again, great, great guys. Plenty of information there. And, yeah, Phil, Phil's, Phil's was good. And then, of course, we finished off with Jimmy Richards. He's uh, he is really a legend, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We had Benny, the mechanical stick at the start there. Yeah. He's um, You were having a nana nap, I think, then, Webby. We? I was. <laughs> as, <laughs> you were, as you were having a nana nap when I was talking to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it was great, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, it was good, really good. Yeah, great show, great show. A lot, of, a lot of guys from different sort of walks of life, you know, like uh, I guess one guy's sort of like a content-creating, uh, you know, guy who tinkers with a lot of cars with uh, some pretty popular sort of YouTube people. Then you got Phil, one of the, you know, you call him a heart and soul of the whole burnout scene almost, you know, like he's, he's been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jim is just like a, that typical New Zealander started with from nothing. They Because they couldn't buy anything, they actually built, he built everything, built go-karts for himself and then right through to all his cars. And, and then that's why I reckon people like him are such good drivers because they actually build and they understand the car. They're actually know, as he says through that interview, they're actually know when to lean on them, when to take it easy, and just how to look after those cars. And so that was a yeah, really enlightening interview. I loved it. Yeah, I'll never forget that um, him and Mark on the podium. And people don't think they like the GDR that much. <laughs> so, I, actually, I actually didn't bring that up. So, uh, I know, I know, I know. Everybody that's listening would, would know I, that story. Yeah, of course, but it's a, it goes down in Australian motoring history, you know. Like uh, they they came and stirred up the scene those those cars, and yeah. and I think I think they're absolute weapons, you know. I, I still love those cars to today. I think looking back, people can appreciate that probably now, but that was a very you know people love yeah. their Holden Commodores and Ford Falcons yeah. back then. But you can't talk about those cars too much because our producer Jack, mate, he just does into uh, melt, meltdown when we start talking about GDRs. So all good. I had him on my mind when I was talking about GDRs. Just now. <laughs> uh, there you go. Don't forget that Red Sanonats tickets yeah. are still on sale, and the same goes for Sanonats 2021 tickets and entries also still on sale. I can't wait to get to all those events. I mean, I reckon. I'm hanging for it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast subscriber as well as if you're watching this on YouTube, give it a like, subscribe to us on there and if you're watching on Facebook, give it a like and a share. We'd appreciate it, no doubt. That's it for podcast 15. Owen, thanks, mate. Awesome. Thanks, J-Benz. Great show. We'll see you guys next Tuesday. Cheers.